Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Okay. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast. Coming to you live from under the arms of the Redeemer. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Aaron. And uh, as Justin alluded to, Brazil is in the future, but Mexico is in the past. We've got a Mexican Grand Prix recap. We've got some League of Legends semifinals. We've got a lot to chat about. Justin, good to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, good to see you too, man. I'm doing pretty well. So, so, so you know that that's the name of the statue. I do. Yes. In Rio. Very, very cool. See, I thought I was going to catch you on that one. Yeah. You, it took me a second. I like second guessed myself and I was like, I could sound real dumb right now, but <laughs> no, you nailed it. That's awesome. Yeah. We do have uh Brazil coming up, I believe on the 11th. Uh, yep. It's not this weekend, the next one, but that is uh, for IEM Rio. That's going on down there in Brazil. Uh, shout out to all the uh, counter-strike global offensive players duking it out right now we'll get into that a little bit later but uh it's just a little bit of a different flavor for the show here this week but yeah i'm doing good good to see you aaron how has your week been you want to start us off here uh absolutely it's uh it's been a good week halloween week so um had a nice party with some friends over the weekend colleen and i uh dressed up as justin timberlake and britney spears when they both wore full denim and so uh, nice. we rocked okay. it just like jeans, denim jacket, shirt, hat, whole nine. It was fun. Um, got to watch some uh, some of the Phillies games with friends, which is big right now, of course, being in the World Series. Um, so it's been a, it's been a pretty good week. Um, but getting into my rose thorn and seed, uh, my rose is uh, just the Phillies watching with friends. I've just really enjoyed it. It's fun. All the excitement that's going on around um, like the city and uh, getting to enjoy that with friends is pretty cool. Um, so nothing, nothing too crazy, but uh, really it's, I mean, it's been, I think 11 years since the Phillies had even made the playoffs. And so uh, to go this far, that's, pretty cool um for my thorn this week um it's just been a little tough i guess uh at work this past week just lots of things coming up that are not really my they're not in my job description per se but i'm like the one who has to to deal with them and take care of those things. Cause I'm the one who like knows how to. So right. even though I've had more time um, open up from being a little less busy work wise, um, I haven't been able to really nail down being like getting more business because I've kind of gotten pulled in a bunch of directions, which um is what it is. They're things that need to get done. And since I know how to do them, it makes sense, but it's not ideal. I feel like, um, I'd prefer to be able to focus a little more on like my, my sole role at the, at the property. So. Right. So what do they call that? Is that acquisitions? 
Um, not not your sole role, but like where you're saying, like focus on like new endeavors. Would that um, be so? It would be not necessarily not like um, acquiring anything, but bringing in like new renters and things like that. Gotcha. And so, like with my role, um, primarily focusing on short term uh, rentals and things like that. It would be trying to find companies or um, businesses in the area that may have a need uh, for whether it's like new employees coming into town or moving for work and things like that. Um, And like being able to build some connections with them um, to try and find uh or broaden my market of potential like renters and all gotcha so i have like lists of people to try and get in touch with and and things like that but i haven't been able to actively like reach out and do as much of that just due to the other um things coming up around the property that just Mm -hmm. needed my attention so um sure yeah. So not the, not the worst thing in the world. Cause like I said, I'm doing things that need to be done. I'm keeping other things rolling, but I want to ensure that I'm doing, um, a good job at like what I've been tasked with as well. And so, uh, I want to spend a little more time focusing in on that, but, um, hopefully I will soon. Uh, but for my seed this week, I'm excited. We are less than 10 days uh, till Colleen and I go on our trip uh, out west. I think I had mentioned that um, she spoiled the surprise a little bit, so figured out where we were going. Um, But that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, But yeah, that's about how my week's been, my rose, thorn, and seed. How are you? What's going on? What questions do you have? I see something did on you, your mind. Did, did you just say to the Grand Canyon? No, not to the Grand Canyon. What did you just say? Uh, where are you going on your trip? Uh, we're going to San Diego. She San Diego, Grand yeah. Canyon. Those don't sound similar at all. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. No, I didn't say where it was the first time I said it. She she just spoiled it. Um, she she guessed it right. That may have been what you heard. She gotcha. like she like guessed it, and then I like then she like kept saying it, and I was like, I can't really just like continuously like lie straight to your face again and again right. and again. That so, is really tough. Yeah, not the easiest, but that's all she knows. Um other like things I have planned I've I've got ready. So it's it's all good. It's gonna be a fun time. But interesting. Yeah. Okay. So not the Grand Canyon, not San Diego Grand Canyon. confirmed. Confirmed. Gotcha. Okay. So not the Grand Canyon. Just wanted to make sure. Not the Grand Canyon. Damn, dude. That's like, is that just like audio dyslexia where I just like filled in my own detail? I didn't care where you were going, actually. In my head canon, I wanted you to be going to the Grand Canyon. Uh, I think you heard something and just like didn't quite catch that like couple words and your brain just pieced together like what sounds the closest to those words because I think that he just said where he's going. There you go. So... Uh, but yeah, not the, the benefit of the doubt. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, that's what your brain does. It, it fills in the blanks sometimes. So 
Yes, it does. That's uh, yeah, you're not wrong. But uh, no, that sounds that sounds great. Unfortunate that you have a uh, a gift shaker, you know, oh, can't just big let time it go. gift shaker. Oh, oh. But also on the other side of it, also a like, oh, one of your Christmas presents came in the mail the other day. Do you want to open it? And I'm like, no, it's not Christmas. Like she's mm. she's. I think just gets overly excited about sure. these like things <laughs> that are, that are down the road. she's like, it's right. too far away. I need it now. Like I need to know now. So and that always, and, and you may actually know this, that feeling always reminds me of the dashboard confessional song where they actually like say that out loud, where it's not like, it's not the price that kills you. It's the weight that's going to bring you down, 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 down. And you know, it's like the chorus or whatever, but like, I've been familiar with that idea for forever because of dashboard confessional where it's like, yeah, you just want the goddamn thing to be here and you're so excited. So I am not coming down on it, man. I know oh, that no, feeling very it's, well. It's definitely, I mean, you've talked about it with like waiting for um, boxes and packs and stuff to of come course. in the mail. And like, yep. I, I'm just like, I'm not too bad at, I just like put things out of my mind. And right. it's like, that is a very easy thing for me to do. Sometimes I can just like, Sometimes too well, where things just are you gone. Forget and, about it. Oh, what's this? Yeah, or like I know, like I I've looked at the calendar a million and a half times to see what's going on in the next couple weekends. And on like Tuesday, Colleen's like, "Oh, so like, are you ready for blah blah?" And I'm like, "When is that?" <laughs> it's like I know I've seen it on right. the calendar. I I should know it, but the the retention just doesn't always keep it so uh it is it's the retention yeah so those things some of those things with the excitement just kind of stick a little easier um when you're pumped up for for something so that's true but but how has your week been what's been going on uh over there in your uh home area (laughs) in my home area it's been going pretty good thank you for asking um so I'll start with my thorn because I think it's a funny one. And this may have been my thorn at some point la- like two years ago because um, it would have been probably right around this time. The CE classes that I got to take for my recertification, hmm. a bunch of it has to be in person. So I'm going to learn like new hands-on techniques. Like I'd already talked about, um, I'd already taken one of the classes. But so these are like the ethics courses, the like... yes yes like the child abuse classes and all this stuff and it's just like the stuff that i've done a whole bunch of times i've even i've even taken the like class for my mom the one time so i and that's ingrained in my memory i've done it one more time than i should have so it's just like i feel like i know this information it stinks to have to like take a whole saturday to do this thing again um but, well, and when nothing is changed too, it like that's the frustrating part. I know it's important, but it's like you should be able to just like take a quiz, like show up, take a thing, and if you pass it, like at the beginning of the class yeah. or whatever, like oh, show up if you get a ninety percent on these twenty five questions or whatever, and like have it be like semi difficult, have that sure. be in person, but sure. hey. 
if you pass it all, then it's, you can go. Yeah, that see, that's a great idea. See, there you go, turning a thorn into a solution. I like that. That's what we're here for. So yeah, I'm not even going to complain about it anymore. That's just a great idea. And uh, yeah, the, who, do, who do I need to talk to? How do I get this? To Dude, we got we got to message the board. We gotta we gotta get the petition going. But that's a that's a great idea. And uh, yeah, ethics classes sometimes you just got to refresh your brain. But so, yeah, that's my thorn. My rose here for the week. My CEU that I took uh, still on this same theme. The muscle scraping class that I took with Sarah, it the class went really well. But I had a client that I was actually able to immediately apply that strategy to um, the very next session. Talk to him about it, kind of explained what it was indicated for, why we would be doing it, what to expect. We were able to lay it all out pretty um, pretty clear and in a way that he like seemed really excited for the treatment. So we spent an hour doing this new treatment all over the upper body, all over the rib cage and the upper back and into the scapulas. And it just went super well, got the exact results that we were looking for. Um, so I just thought that was a big rose where we were able to learn something kind of uh, internalize it a little bit, think about how it's going to apply to me and my practice or our practice, and then like go through carrying it out and then having somebody be like ecstatic for the treatment. Um, I think he felt better than like we've really able to hit at before. Um, so I'm just really excited about this new treatment now that I have under my belt. Nice. And it's not always the case that you can take something like that and immediately like be able to utilize it like sometimes right. that's something that it's like oh i've added it to my to my bag of tools and then you may not need uh that wrench for months but then you can right. pull it out but it's cool to be able to put it into practice and actually see the effects like immediately um pretty much from that that new knowledge and, and technique and all yeah, it was sweet. And he was really excited about it. Um, I think it's going to give us a little bit of a reinvigoration into therapy that like was still was still going quite well. I think we were seeing results. But uh, just like a turbocharger, I think this really just kicked it up a notch. Um, and then my seed, this is just a dumb quick one. The one day I made an executive decision, I called Sarah up when I knew she was going to be coming home. And I said, Hey, you better stop at the store right now, sloppy jalopy, and get us a new toaster oven because <laughs> this thing sucks. Like we've had it for probably like our whole relationship when we moved into when we moved into f the old apartment. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we moved into well, the old apartment, we had gotten so, this new toaster oven. Go ahead. Toaster or toaster oven? Toaster oven. Okay. Because I like I like the big thick bagels. Sometimes I like to put you know a, a non toaster item into the into the toaster oven. Great you know, for pizza reheating. Exactly. You can't you can't get that into the into the toaster. So we opt for the toaster oven. And now my lunchtime is cut in half. My guy, it's insane. I don't know what I was missing. Um, well, and they're really not like, that crazy expensive either. No, it's like probably no, it like twenty five thirty bucks. Like it was fine. Yeah, it was yeah. great. So and that's awesome. It, yeah, it just felt like walking out of the cave for the first time again. Um, just like, oh, what have Dis I been missing, man? Discovered fire. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like it's crazy. Um, so well, yeah, hopefully, my... hopefully, didn't discover fire in your in your apartment. 
I mean, it cooks so hot, we might. And I'd be like open to it. That was something my other toaster oven was no longer capable of. He couldn't ignite the fire. It happens. It happens. Yeah, Just don't, was, don't burn uh, the place down. Don't start uh, the fire. No, I'm not going to start the fire because we didn't start the fire. Um, but you know who did start the fire in the soul of Mexico? Sergio Perez. Yes, sir. He um, had a he had a nice weekend. Very I good agree. weekend. Uh, I was going to say uh, lots of sparks have been flying in regard to uh, your your NASCAR video uh, that you wanted to bring up. So yeah, that's a that's a better that's a better segue. Hey, well, either way, tell the people what's going on in NASCAR because that has not been a sport even with all the racing that I enjoy that has intrigued me really at all. Well, and it's funny, like, so obviously some part of my algorithm is like tied into like Formula One, IndyCar, and so like by generics, motorsport. Right. So, but like never any NASCAR, right? I usually so get it, like the extra one I usually get is MotoGP, like the that's motorcycle. What I see too. Yeah. That's what I see too. Okay. But then this got i guess so many people were blowing it up like because this is wild honestly mm. that it was like my top recommended thing on youtube and i was like oh what is this what do you mean a video game move this guy is insane and the reactions around it were just funny i i watched this it's every angle of ross chastain's video game move go to youtube if you want to see it but it is it is a wild wild move at the end of a race this guy ross chastain just slams his car into i guess turns three and four of the oval track hammers on the gas so he just like rode the wall like a Mm -hmm. like a surfer to get by these two cars that were like battling at battling it out right in that final stint of the race he ends up just nuking by them like double their speed it looks like sliding across that wall just near right by him gets into the points or whatever he was looking for in the moment to Mm. be like into the next round or whatever it is i think it was uh to make it to like the final four like people of like going to fedex cup championships or something like that he needed like he needed like two points or something and those cars were were the cars dude and he he blows right by them and everybody's just like well i guess we're out then yeah that was pretty insane i guess we're out so like it was the perfect blend in the reactions of they were ecstatic to have witnessed such a thing but they hated the fact that it knocked them out it was hilarious well and so i want to like what is your opinion on the move? Because I saw I saw a video, an interview of uh, another NASCAR driver. I forget who it was, but he was like butthurt about it, and it didn't sure. even it didn't even affect him. It wasn't like he was one of those guys that got pat. Like he was yeah. just like, oh, I just don't think that it's like very like he he basically called it like unsportsmanlike and like sure. was I can see at, that I can't like. It's it's a move. It's a ball to wall. Like it could have fucking it could have failed so right. hard. Right. He could have been. He could have 
touched the wall and then gone spinning across the track, taking someone out, like not even cross the finish line. Like it was a gutsy move. He made it in the moment, like very just decisively. And I think personally, like a lot of people aren't super excited about NASCAR. If it gets some excitement about your sport out there, like that's also a good thing. Cause like, your sport is not as like in the the mainstream media as a lot of other sports and it went viral this move so people are yeah, going to be time. interested to see like oh like what ends up happening to this Ross Chastain guy like does he end up next race being successful like having a day of it like or is it just he had this 15 minutes of fame well, yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you. Like, if it gets a spotlight that isn't, it isn't like an egregious, malicious, vicious, mean, or any of these things, like towards anybody. I don't think it's mm-hmm. getting traction for like any of the wrong reasons. It's just like no, this hyper interesting moment in a motorsport. I'm not saying I agree with the with the driver that was interviewed. I can just see a driver's point of view in that scenario where it almost feels like you're breaking the game in some way where yes, it's not, it's not in the written rules, but it's this move that like nobody does for obvious reasons. It's like a, it's a, this, it's a, that it's this, but that's, what's so crazy about these things is Mm -hmm. after, after a certain point, the only the only option that's outside of the box is the one that everybody thought like they, they weren't going to do, but if it's not against the rule, if it's not written in the rules, homie, I have a hard time, like, like chastising the driver. Right. I, I really, like you said, there's a lot of risk. I dislike unwritten rules in things in general. Like there are, there are ones that I still respect, but I don't like this idea of like unwritten rules. Like baseball has a lot of them of like, Oh, you're not supposed to do this or you're not supposed to do that. Or, Oh, you don't. Um, when your team's winning by a lot, you and the pitchers having a tough day and it, he has a three ball and zero strike count you're supposed to watch the next pitch. Like that is the, uh, one of the unwritten rules of baseball is if your team's winning by a lot and this guy could either walk you or throw the first strike of the at bat, you're supposed to let it go. A player got in trouble, not in trouble, but he got chastised for it a couple of years ago because he just absolutely nuked a baseball into like space on a three Oh count when his team was up like eight runs and I'm like, good. That's exciting. That's cool yeah. to watch. Yeah. I saw this home run and I don't follow that team at all. Like, that's cool. And there's all these old people who are like, no, you're just rubbing salt into the wound. You're, you're, that's, uh, you're just trying to run up the score. And it's like, yeah. if you don't want the ball to get nuked into like, the next dimension then throw a better pitch like right. that is the solution yeah that don't, just seems dumb to me <laughs> like don't let the guy do that 
throw better or well, okay, get- but that's like a that's like a culture thing and like a weird. Well, but I, I think this other. is I think this is too in NASCAR. It's like he's kind of going and he's like they're like you're not supposed to do this because it's like you're I don't know like taking advantage of something that's like not supposed to be done, and so it's like you're or not intended to be done. Not that it's not right. supposed to be. It's, comma it, and it's so crazy that we don't ha- that we don't feel like we should have to write it in the rules, right? And like, right. and and it, this is like a very rare situation. This is a track that has very tight turns, so that's why the other cars were going much slower. Like right. in a typical oval track, like those guys are flying out of those last corners and everything. If you're coming around the last corner at Daytona Speedway and you decide to try and slingshot or like riding the wall, like you're going to lose time because of the friction of the wall slowing you down. This is a like very rare scenario. It's not something that people are going to be like, oh, wait, I can do that. Like but it's what not- if they do? That's the most that would be the most interesting part to me. If like this becomes the meta and then they have to like write it out of the rules. But that like, write it into the rules. That happens yeah. sometimes. And it's like and that's when it becomes interesting. Well, like, I don't what expect if this it is- to. What do you mean? Put a skid plate on the side of your car and just fucking run the wall? Well, so the reason the reason that I don't think this will become an issue is because they can't like I, I thought about that already. I am fairly certain you can't just like mount like the the vehicles in NASCAR are very like homogenous. Like every, every car body is the same, essentially. They just have different, different, they just have different engines. Yeah. You can't, you can't put a wheel on the side of your car that you just like fucking cruise. And that's that's just like, like, I'm, I am, I'd say like 99% sure that, um, all of the bodies have to be a very specified like build and everything for yeah. the cars. It's the yeah. the engine differences, the tire wear, fuel loads, things like that that are the uh, the primary differences in strategy and whatnot. Right. So so what are we saying here? We think this is just a fun way to get up into the top four. And I, th- I think it's. That- I think it's an exciting moment that probably could never happen again. The between the situation, the track, the opportunity, like I don't see this happening and working to like that magnitude uh, on that scale, like potentially ever again. Like I don't think, this is the first time someone's thought of that. <laughs> I think it's the first time that it's like actually worked out probably if someone has tried it previously. Um, I would love to see a hypercut of like 
like five or six times that it's failed and then see Ross's with like the final countdown music of, and him <laughs> just fucking owning those two cars. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's a really cool moment. It's good eyes on the, on the sport and everything. Sure. So I'm all for it. Another person who was all for it, Fernando Alonso tweeted out, he's like, that's just like when you play like racing games and just turn off damage. Like, he's like, that's awesome. Um, and another thing that's awesome is Fernando Alonso's P7 got reinstated uh, that had gotten taken away last previous to last episode. So, they did that just for you, bud. They did, they did that just for you. <laughs> yep, I whined enough about it, and they're like, all right, all right. Yeah, they heard you. Yeah. Well, so. no, it's funny. It's funny that it's Alonzo that like goes to bat for this dude because he's the one that was just like, I'm pretty sure it was at Mexico last year at turn one where he like saw everybody about to like get all bunched up. He's like, ah, fuck it. And he just cut the turn. I think it might have been Mexico. I think you might be right. But yeah, just ready to, ready just to send it. Bend the rules a little bit. Bend expectations, I guess you could say. And I hope that people are inspired to ride the wall a little bit more. Yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. Don't fuck up your cars doing it, but good luck. Um, But another penalty I wanted to talk about, the Red Bull penalty was laid out. So uh, they get a 10% reduction in wind tunnel time over the next 12 months and a $7 million fine for breaching the salary cap or the budget cap, that is. Um, So, I mean unfortunate uh for them as a team i think it's a pretty like reasonable punishment um i don't think we talked did we talk last episode about this at all i don't think so i didn't think we did a good update um so yeah so that's the update a lot of people feel like it's not enough i think personally i would have rather seen the financial penalty go against the coming year's budget cap like maybe a smaller penalty, but have it go against the budget cap to like penalize them as opposed to a lot of people are upset because they're like, Oh, Red Bull doesn't care. $7 million. They like that doesn't affect them. They can just throw that money like at the FIA. Um, But the wind tunnel time I think is a huge, huge detriment. I don't think people realize with them, Winning the Constructors' Championship, they already only get 70% of the win time that the last place team gets. So they're already only getting 70%. That's cut down by, I believe it's 10% of the 70. So they would be down to 63% of Williams' allotted time, um, wind tunnel time. So I think that's a pretty significant uh, difference, but definitely some... Uh, controversy and some some differing opinions out there in the F1 world on it. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, fair enough, I guess. I think that's I think that's fine. I don't know anything about penalizing these teams, but the idea of like being uh, being a looker on and saying like, oh, what seven million dollars to these orgs like? Well, the biggest. The biggest thing is a lot of people are like, oh, seven million do- like doesn't matter because 
of all the sponsorships and yada, yada, yada you get from winning. They're like, oh, like cheated your way to a world championship. So all the extra things that you get from that, like the 7 million is probably nothing in comparison to all the extra money and whatever else. Uh, that's the biggest issue. And people, of course, are also uh, attributing that to this coming year uh, or this current year's like wins as well, um, even though the Abu Dhabi controversy and the budget cap breach were in the same year. So like best case scenario, Red Bull got one driver's championship out of it. A lot of people are like, oh, they got two drivers championships and a world championship for $7 million. And it's like, it's not quite how that works, but yeah, I just think those, I just think those like reasons or arguments are always just like so reductive and simplistic where it's like, they yeah, are. I, I like, like what can you even say? It's like, uh, right. okay. Well, yeah, you it's know. like there, there's no, there's no winning that conversation, which is like I, I've seen a ton of them on Twitter. I just avoid, like, I don't chirp in because, sure, it's just not, it's not worth it in my opinion because F one Twitter is very toxic at some moments. Um, so it's just. A lot of people who are fans of their their drivers and they're unhappy when things don't go their way and and what if it's not what they deem fair, then that's an issue. And there's too many people that are will, willing to spew their opinions out there uh, onto the internet. So it, you're just not ever gonna win. Like, and no. Every single person is probably lacking in their knowledge of some part of the argument too. Like it's mm -hmm. not like a bunch of well-informed people who have read through the articles who like I've read through a decent bit. I'm sure there's still things that I'm missing from, from it all. And sure. so there's just not, there's no winning in like those conversations, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of people unhappy with the penalty feeling it's too light. I think it's pretty reasonable for the most part, but yeah. Like what else are you going to do? Like are you trying to debilitate the team? Like, I don't know. That's what people want. That yeah. Yeah. Fine. Damn. Okay. They're, they're not fans of Red Bull. So they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Tank them into the ground. Like they're, it's, they're just being haters as, as opposed to supporters of their own team. It's not, it's no longer rooting for your own team. It's just like rooting for the other guy to like fail or get like penalized or whatever. Sure. But then, so that means like they're not even a fan of, and, and this is always my, like, this is always my argument where it's like, that means you're not even a fan truly of the spirit of the competition. Cause mm -hmm. that means that you are down for your team like winning under the pretense of the the other team being held down by something like or even a lot of them going to the extent of well I can't wait to see Mercedes and Ferrari accidentally break the budget cap next right. year and like build these like supercars that are going to drive circles around like it, they they're like well if they did it 
so they're not fans of the actual nature and the respect of the competition at all. Right. They don't care. They just want their team to win. So that's why you can't like have a reasonable discussion on it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's tough, but yeah, hopefully that, you know, hopefully that kind of a punishment sets a precedent moving forward. And if it becomes like egregious from teams, you know, step it up. Um, I th- yeah, I think that's my my other like recommendation is it, repeat offenders being like having incrementally increased punishments. I think that's yeah. a reasonable thing so that you can be like, hey, like, yeah, maybe like we we kind of were like, hey, this is good for this situation. We don't feel like it was done in any sort of like intentional way so but you're still getting penalized you still broke the rule right so that i agree with if you if you do it again and you don't pay close enough attention yeah like penalize them harder like that that's how i feel it should be so yeah make it 17 mil like then make it be backbreaking right i just i just don't agree with like okay the first year of a cost cap Uh, yeah uh, it's like stop dude can we like be just a little reasonable here man Nah, f1 twitter is anything but reasonable so it's uh it's that's just the way it goes but it's the it's the content that i'm frequently seeing so it's always it's intriguing to to kind of look at from the outside and just and take it with a grain of salt a little bit with a grain of salt for me like i've got red bull in my mouth clearly you know it's just like i'm just i'm just here to have a conversation yeah exactly so it it is what it is but other uh other news um hulkenberg Looks like he has a good shot at the Haas seat. I know we've mentioned it, but talks are still continuing. Um, so I'm not really sure where that leaves Mick, uh, other than I know that Audi, um, when they're entering as the Sauber team in 2024, or 2020, I, I forget, whatever year it is, they are interested in having an all-German driver lineup. Um, oh, that's cool. Which would be cool. Um, a German company that want to have German drivers, but I know Mick um, had been interviewed. People had asked him about it a little bit, and he's like, "That's kind of far off." Like he's he's worried about next year's seat and and hopefully getting it. So I think uh, I, I still I think we both agree. I still think he deserves like or he has earned another year in that seat. But I don't know. I don't know. I think on merit, he's done well enough. But unfortunately, I'm not sure, or it at least doesn't seem like Formula One is the spot for well enough. But then you wonder... How come Nick Latifi has had a seat for so long? Or how come this person's had a seat for so long? And this is his first year in a reasonable car. It's only his second year in F1. And last year's car was a joke. Like, Has he made too many mistakes, though, to really think he's, like, going to be improving enough? 
I think he's made too many mistakes to like be worth it. So you go for the guy that hasn't raced competitively other than here or there since 2019, who also had his fair share of accidents, who mm-hmm. in his long tenure of F1 also has never had a podium. Yeah, I don't like that option either. Yeah, like I, I think in in no, like I liked Hulk and the idea of him a couple years ago potentially coming back, but I mean he's let's see, Nico Hulkenberg is. I don't think thirty five like Alonzo has. No, he's thirty five. Right. He is like getting towards the well he's in the upper bracket age group of all f1 current f1 drivers like yeah. i just don't imagine that move if hey if they wanted to like go for a, a young f2 driver or something that just like is knocking it out of the park and we're like hey we gave mick a shot didn't work on to the next one i just don't see that being the move that is gonna make it successful at Haas. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's pretty reasonable to say. I would tend to agree with you. Um, and, but maybe Haas is like, maybe Haas is like, well, maybe we don't see him long term. So it's better to just rip the bandaid off now because everybody's going to hate us later for like getting rid of a Schumacher. Yeah. I mean, you could, potentially see it that way. It's just, I I think that Mick is getting better. And I think that he is above the level of a couple other drivers on the grid, or at least competitive with like, so like with less years of experience and, and things like that. I think he's shown glimmers of hope, uh, for him to be uh, a decently successful driver. I don't think anyone's seen anything from him that they're like, oh my God, this is like his dad re- like reincarnate. Like, I don't think that is what anyone's looking for, but I think he is a someone who could be in the right contracts and circumstances, a like five, six year middle to like top of the infield or uh, top of the midfield kind of driver. Yeah. But, but yeah, like I, I don't, I don't see him winning a world championship based on what I've seen, but that's also okay. Like there right. are plenty of drivers that are in F1 who have what people would consider successful careers without ever um, winning a world championship. Right. Yeah. And so there's the element of like, is Haas a team that's in a like kind of a building phase? Like, yeah, I would say so. So from that angle, they likely have some time to work with, like you're saying, unimproving driver who has shown glimmers. Um, yeah. And that may be a better option than, you know, some of the other things on the table. So I can, from Haas's perspective, I think I could see it either way. But are they just going back to like basically what they were doing before with like, this is, this is basically just going to be Magnuson and Grosjean again. Like it's Magnuson and Hulk. Like it's two 
guys who've been around for a long time, like if they're actually trying to build for the future, I feel like a young driver is the better opportunity. Um, yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking where it's like the pros probably outweigh the cons here is kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. But I, I know that we'll, we'll probably hear in the next couple of weeks, what happens. I would hope with uh, this being the last few weeks of the F1 season with Brazil and Abu Dhabi being the last races Um, with that as well. Daniel Ricardo's future seems a little more certain as of today, nothing official, but there's a lot of speculation and ties to him going to be a Mercedes reserve driver instead of Red Bull, which was what uh, I had been seeing in the media last week. So Mm -hmm. um, I I think my biggest curiosity with, with Danny is if he, with him leaving F1, because it doesn't seem as though he's interested in any of the seats that are available this year still. Um, Do you think he will race in F1 again? Yes. Based on the willingness for a team to take Alonzo back, based on the willingness for a team to take Hulkenberg back, um, yeah, I think there's at least the room for it to be possible. I remember the conversations previously where I was pretty surprised that they would bring somebody back who had left. I didn't know that was was like really Mm -hmm. something that teams would consider. So just kind of based on that, probably. um, Alonzo is a little of an enigma though, being a double world champion. I feel like that is a, uh, easier person to bring back than yeah, big than time. Just an eight-time race winner, but yeah, I mean, eight, that's still a successful career in F one. Very yeah. like very successful. And I just use it to illustrate that like teams are at least willing to do it, right? That's Where, true. Yeah. You know, um, even yeah, his his accolades are pretty pretty excessive. So like that's something to consider. But yeah, I so to answer your question, do I see it possibly happening? Yeah. Do I see it probably happening? No. Um, yeah, unfortunately, kinda, yeah, I think some people's times are just over. That's kind of where I'm at. I like. I, I do think that taking a reserve drive with Mercedes or Red Bull does give the best opportunity of being out of F1. Uh, and coming back, being with one of the, the top three teams uh, uh, in that position. So I do think it's interesting as well, because obviously Red Bull, I'm sure their structure and different things have changed plenty since uh, Danny was there on the team. But I'm curious um, from his own personal experience and like what he's bringing from being in the Red Bull system um, to Mercedes, uh, if that does end up happening um if that will give them a little bit of an extra edge uh in that head-to-head battle maybe um maybe. so it's interesting but uh nothing like i said officially announced as of yet right yeah he may be able to tell them which uh, locker max keeps his boots in i mean you never know like it could be the secret that saves them 
swap out his shoes for a size smaller so it's not noticeable until he tries to put them on. Damn. Devious. That'd be that'd be pretty um maleficent, dude. Maleficent. Yeah. I mean, isn't her name just like two <laughs> words combined? Uh yeah, basically. To use her name as an adjective. There you go. It works. Um the other uh and leading into the Mexican Grand Prix, so the other um hot news on the paddock was uh Red Bull boycotting uh Sky Sports interviews and all throughout the weekend uh due to primarily uh comments from Ted Kravitz, but um just in general a feeling of um Sky Sports not uh treating the team or max fairly with their commentary over the past uh past while so that was now, do you like hear that at all like do you know what he said because i just hear the like international broadcast so well um it was it was things primarily in like the pre-race stuff uh but ted essentially like he he was said things and has continued to like say things to the effect of um hamilton was robbed and all just uh, uh talking about primarily abu dhabi and like he said uh one of his comments was up, it looks like Max can't win a world championship in a normal way, or something like that. In like referring to um, Abu Dhabi and then the cost cap breach and whatnot, and things. Sure. So, like, just a lot. And and those were just two recent ones that, but I mean, I can understand like any opportunity that. Uh, well, and there was one at the U.S. Grand Prix where Ted was basically like, he he was like laying out the scene and like the storytelling of he's like, oh, like Lewis Hamilton, like he he loses, he he's robbed of a championship, and then he goes into this race where he's. He has a he has a crappy car the next year, but then they get it up to a, a place where he goes in and he has the potential to be competitive. And then his victory is snatched away by the man that he what that robbed him of his like championship the year prior. And it could have Latifi. <laughs> you got him, ladies and gentlemen. We got him. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just like comments like that and all. And I can understand because like I said, F1, especially on Twitter is like a very toxic place. Like Max gets tons and tons of ridicule and hate from anyone who's not a fan of Red Bull. And like, I think that's pretty unfair thing to, uh, to do. It's Neither of these situations occurred because of Max. One was due to whatever the accounting team for Red Bull. The other one was due to a decision that Michael Massey made. Like, not neither of these things had anything to do with like Max actively like doing anything outside of the rules or or anything crazy. And yeah, everyone is just like. 
he's a cheater, he's a cheater, he's not a real champion, and all those things. And, like, they see it as just winding up these people who are already, like, don't, like, who are already being out there on on Twitter and whatnot. And so, I mean, personally, they they just did it for Mexico. I think it's, it's a statement, like, they are, they still did their contractually required interviews and things like that uh that are required of like post race or like winning or any of those kinds of interviews but they just didn't have any personal like interviews or, or give any comments to sky sports or any of their affiliates during that race i think that's like right. hey if you're gonna boycott something hey go for it i i I think the the biggest uh, – it's like a very odd line because Sky Sports UK, obviously they're, they're British channel. They're yep. going to have a personal bias towards British drivers, like sure. particularly Lewis. And I understand that. However, my issue that I think I take with – the kind of biases and everything is like, so like here on the podcast, you and I, we we're both Red Bull fans. We are very blatant about that, but we do try to be pretty impartial in our discussions and how we look at things and all like, yes, we have people we root for teams we root for, but we try to be pretty, pretty unbiased. I think in our general commentary and like breakdown of things, as much as we can i think on what hmm. about this angle though like are we red bull fans or is that team just at like the top of the conversation i mean because they're at the top of the grid like just just because we talk about red bull and max often doesn't like implicitly make me like or us fans yeah, you well, know, like I personally will say, like I'm a Red Bull fan and a fan fair of Max, enough. like thereof. Like I got into F1, like primarily like interested in the Red Bull team and everything. I didn't want to just hop on the Mercedes bandwagon. I don't like to be a, a bandwagon hopper, and like when I join something new, just pick the the team that's doing the best and be like, that's my team, like. But I mean the the drive to survive series with Danny Ricks, like I really like Danny Ricks, his personality, everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I really you got to see more of Red Bull. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is cool. I like them. And then Danny Ricks left. I was like, wait, I'm not just gonna hop teams just willy nilly mm-hmm. now that I had decided. So I mean, yeah, I like I'll say at least for myself, I am a Red Bull fan and I root for Max and I root for Checo. However, I try to do my best to give a pretty unbiased perspective of what I think is going on. I try to give right. fair time to the other drivers, right. to the other teams as well. Right. And that's that's why I stopped you because I don't think you ever like I I it it doesn't feel like we're ever giving 
like him all of the time and just saying like, yeah, these other races were in the race too. Like I, yeah. like I acknowledge that, yeah, you may be a personal fan of his, but I, I don't believe that that comes through all that glaringly, like in our like analysis or talking about the race. I just think yeah. he's the main character a lot. So we're just like talking about him, unfortunately. Right. Well, and I, and I try not to, to be that way too. And I think that is the difficulty, especially like, Ted Kravitz is very vocal about his opinions on these things mm. and everything yeah, and his biases one of the reasons they have him shot and his biases shine through very clearly. And I think my, my, the issue I take with it primarily is yes. If you are an F1 TV subscriber or anything like, yes, there is another broadcast you can listen to the international broadcast with like different commentary and, and everything going on. Mm -hmm. The predominantly broadcasted like commentary and broadcast is the sky sports UK broadcast where really? the, that is, that's the ESPN broadcast. That's like uh, ESPN slaps their logos on things and they have the Sky Sports like broadcast for when they put it on. So they TV. don't so use the nationally No, so the US nationally broadcasted F1 uh, broadcast okay. is the Sky Sports UK broadcast. Now so, I understand. So in my opinion just in terms of journalism in terms of fairness and everything i i do feel like you should keep your biases out of that as much as possible if you're going to be a public figure who is discussing like especially like a broadcast of the race and everything i think you should generally just be the as unbiased as you can so yeah. i can understand the frustrations coming from red bull because this is being broadcast like everywhere, like right. as the standard for right. most people. I didn't and, understand that. And so a lot of folks are just hearing this and taking it as fact, as right. opposed to taking it with a grain of salt, not understanding like, oh, these guys are British. The British guy lost because of the situation and how things panned out at Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. So that is right. Like, so, and their biases are coming through in that. So I, I thought it was a like pretty reasonable course as well for Red Bull to be like, yeah, we're just going to boycott interviews with you guys. Cause yeah. like, we don't like the way that you're talking. So like, we're just not going to talk to you. Like, I don't yeah. think that's a crazy thing. <laughs> and it, it's just, uh like again red bull got a lot of backlash from a lot of like people on of course, like in public sure. like it's like well aren't you happy like you don't like them now you don't have to listen to them either so mm -hmm. like isn't that isn't that cool like both sides can be happy yeah yeah you would think so but they enjoy the hate watch you know they do mm -hmm. um but Leading in, <laughs> leading into the uh, Mexico Grand Prix, um, what were you thinking, I guess, going into it? I think my first initial thought uh, going into actual race day was 
how is Max going to do starting in P1? Because that is not typically the best position on that track due to the long straightaway and then right-hand turn that um, the P2 position is on the inside of the track. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I think... I forget what they said. I think it's the last like three or four races. The like P one has not led after or, or has not led the first lap. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was, that was kind of my initial thing to watch coming into the race. Yeah. And that was, I think that was a big part of the like post qualifying conversation was the Mercedes in the, the second and third spot. And then they talked about the stat where I'm, I'm pretty sure it's been P three. That's won the last couple of races, as well as, you know, uh, the pole position, not being like that great as well. Mm. But something told me that like historical data may not necessarily apply here. Like the, the rebels have just been very quick so I was interested at that, but I it wasn't like the the biggest thing on my mind. I, I was pretty interested in the uh, qualifying from Mercedes. Them being two three obviously has been their their best result uh, this year leading up to yeah. this point. Um, so it's just interesting to see it see the team like not giving up at all where we were in a position last year where we just had to keep talking about Haas in the sense of like, Oh, they're not doing anything. They're not developing. They're just racing this vehicle. Um, it's fun to see Mercedes pushing so hard, even when, um, some things have already been decided. The P2 in the constructors championship has not been decided yet. And it's definitely within reach. Right. So that's really exciting. And their qualifying performance gave them a really good shot at like moving towards that goal. Um, so I guess leading into race Sunday, that's what I was pretty, pretty interested in. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point as well, because I know we've kind of kept tabs on them, how they're doing. We watched the early season with Lewis uh, kind of being the test test driver for a bit in races trying to figure mm-hmm. out different things with the car and all and uh to see them now at this point to have gone so far and improved so much over the season mm-hmm. um that's that's extremely impressive um so yeah a, a start in p2 p3 is huge um especially when they haven't had the the one lap pace either um over the season let alone that race pace um it was also interesting seeing the different uh tire strategies we saw both red bulls come in on the soft tires both uh, mercedes go on the mediums Mm -hmm. i i kind of um i mentioned on the broadcast i was a little surprised that um they didn't split strategies in an attempt to try and um shake things up with Red Bull like they have mm-hmm. done in past uh past years with um running someone on soft someone on the mediums like trying to get the undercut or like pressure someone enough that they get more tire dag and things like that um Mercedes just seemed kind of content to be like 
we're on the mediums. We just think that's the right strategy and we're just going to stick with it. Um, which I, I can respect, but I, it did surprise me a little bit to not see them try and put a little more pressure on the Red Bulls with uh, with maybe a soft tire at the beginning on one of the, one of the drivers. And especially, especially considering that throughout the race, especially once you were getting towards the like second pit window where some of the teams were thinking about or would have been thinking about going in for their second pit stop, um, you know, George and Lewis were on the radio pretty consistently asking, why are we on the medium t- or why are we on the hard tire? We should be on the mediums. Yeah. Um, Russell was calling pretty hard for a box. However, the Mercedes pit wall was pretty confident that the mediums were going to be falling off towards the end of the race. Uh, so that was a big thing that me and Sarah were talking about actually where I'm curious what the practice sessions were like, where they had such a bad read on the like degradation data on either the mediums or didn't know what the pace was going to be on the hards. Cause it seemed like a really like, just bullheaded bullish move to just like be hearing that feedback from the drivers consistently, but still saying like, Oh no, they're going to fall off where I mean, maybe they were, but like the Red Bulls were fine. I think that was the issue with their strategy. They probably have data that showed the medium tires are only going to last X amount of time, yada, yada, yada. The Red Bull cars have been so good all year at not having bad tire deck. Like Mm -hmm. we, we've only had like, I think, uh, I forget if it was, it was early in the season. It might've been like, it might've been Monza, or something like no, not even Monza. It was might have been even before that that we saw the Ferrari um, car just like outpacing the Red Bull because of like not having the tire degradation and everything that they were seeing. We saw like Leclerc and Max battling it out and and everything, and Leclerc having just fresher tires. Um, and I think. Maybe Mercedes were like, oh, this is the deck we're seeing. So, like, there's no way to go from softs to mediums and just do a one-stop race. So, we have to go for the hards. And when they said, oh, like, Red Bull's on doing softs and mediums, hey, we have this opportunity. Their tires will fall off at the end of the race that the hards will still be going. So, that will put us in a position where they'll either have to pit again Mm-hmm. and go for a two stop and see if they can beat us or we'll just outpace them at the end of the race and right. the medium tires just held on like freaking steel grip for for the Red Bull guys they just they just cruised on them it was mm-hmm. it was easy um i mean like a what 15 second gap for for max out front at the end of the race so mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was not it was not closing in the way that the that the pit wall thought they would be. Um which yeah, like like I said, just surprises me that they weren't um that they weren't willing to make the pivot when the drivers were actually giving them the right read. Um that was like 
actually like pretty frustrating to hear um, where you want you you want to believe that the pit wall has all of the data but actually in this scenario like the driver's instinct was just a little bit better yeah and it's tough too like it's a very mexico city is a very odd race in general because you're in a very hot climate however you're in really high altitude so Mm -hmm. the way that tires are going to work and and things like that everything changes because anytime you shift the air pressure and temperature those are going to give drastically different results on any vehicle in this kind of Mm -hmm. race so i think maybe in this situation it's also a little bit of a lack of data but still immensely impressive uh, that Mercedes was able to get car in second and third to start, finish P2, P4. Um, I mean, Sergio really didn't have much of a shot at catching uh, catching Lewis after about midway point in the race. I, I felt like he wasn't just ever able to close that gap up. And I think obviously it's, it's tough in the dirty air uh, and everything. It's not as bad this year as it's been in past years, but that that was just a a real great showing from Mercedes. And um, I mean, Brazil is Brazil is Lewis's second home, so. Well, um, I might actually say it was an okay showing from Mercedes. Like they could have won the race if they were were able to make a pivot soon enough. I actually think they they could have closed the gap at least. Well, so the problem. So, what do you think they should have done? They would have not stayed out on the hards at a like once the drivers were telling them like, "Hey, I don't think these are working. Can we get on something else?" Because okay. did they? Because they started on the mediums, correct? Right, because that's where I was thinking. I was like, they started on the mediums already. Like, they couldn't have gone medium to medium. They could go medium, medium, soft, and maybe that would have worked out. Well, and, still and that's think what I'm thinking. Pit, the second pit stop, you're losing, I think, because with no safety cars or anything, you're losing about 22 seconds. Yeah. And max outside of the virtual safety car laps mm-hmm. was in the 122 second like his his times for per lap started with 122 for okay. every lap from like lap 25 through 71 like okay. he did not really lose time at the end, so I, I'm not saying that it couldn't have been possible. I think it still likely would have looked very similar uh, in the finish. Mainly what I'm thinking is the old like League of Legends adage where you'd rather see five players make the wrong move together than see five players make different decisions. And yeah, and hearing them kind of going back and forth, not agreeing with, yeah, 
Like, yes. I think that's make the pivot together and find out that like, Hey, it actually just would have been the same you being on the hards right. versus the softs, but I'm happy as a team. We listened, took the mm-hmm. gamble, went on to the softs. Cause then we know what that looked like. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm really thinking of is no, like, I think, I think that's a, a pretty reasonable thing. Cause earlier in the season, we've talked about with Ferrari, like how they were just like forcing strategies on, on Charles in particular. And he's like, I don't know about this. Like what's going on? Why are we doing these things? And then they flip the other way and they're like, so what do you want to do? So how, like, is that tire you want? Which tires do you want to come in now? Mm -hmm. Like, like Mm -hmm. you make all the decisions instead of being collaborative and going, Hey, how do the tires feel? We're seeing the, the hards not do super well at this race on X driver's car, like, do you feel like we should go for it? Or do you think we should maybe pivot strategies? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not like Ferrari has any lack of strategies or we've heard like strategy E strategy F, like they're going sure. through half the alphabet. So I think, uh, I think I well, I not think I totally agree with you that I would want to see, teams like working together on those strategies yeah, that's, and all that's because because really it does matter what the feel is like and things like that like if the drivers know if their tires are graining they know what that feels like they know what that looks mm-hmm. like they know and and the the pit wall can say oh like yeah like your tires are going to go through this graining phase but uh Vettel pitted on lap 5 uh, for real early pit stop, and he got through the graining phase, and it, he is like cruising now. Like, right? That's the information you get from the pit wall that you guys can like work together. You need both to be making like the best possible decision. Definitely. So, so I guess my my argument comes from like, would they like have have won the race? I don't care. I'm just saying it would have been a it would have been a better chance to take to just do it as a team instead of this dissonance on the radio where the right. drivers weren't happy and the pit wall was like trying to shoehorn um mm. so decent race from mercedes but like that's just a like a spectator's gripe i guess you could say no i i think that's a pretty reasonable one because i like i said i don't know the only thing that i would be potentially concerned about in terms of like pivoting from what they did is I could imagine Red Bull going one, two potentially in that scenario as easily as I could see it going the other way. And Mercedes like potentially winning because if you do pit again, uh, onto the softs and then you have to get past Checo, that's not going to be easy either. So and then so it may like, just ruin those tires. So forcing yourself into an overtake is also like uh, a difficult decision. But I think I agree. I would have liked to see them really go for it and actually be like, "Hey, we think this is going to give us a shot at winning," as opposed to going, "Hey, we think that their car might slow down enough." Not like, right. "Oh, this is what's going to make our car." quicker and we can put in these lap times and gain they're like oh like we're gonna cross our fingers and toes and hope 
that Red Bull slows down and right. not, not that we make up time. Exactly. Yeah. Like waiting for their strategy to fail instead of like playing to their outs. And like, and that's kind of what it felt like to me is like, oh, you didn't, I don't think you, they played to their outs there. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate, but it's still, it's still progress in the car and everything. And big um, time. Big you, time. Like just immensely like better performance than what we were seeing early. Another immensely better performance, Danny Ricks. All he had to do was fucking dive bomb Yuki and he was freaking clear. That was wild. And just like you were happy about Alonzo being, you know, reinstated. I'm actually glad this happened like so close to it because this is one where it damn near similar incident but because it happened later in the race the the penalty for him was more severe right mm-hmm. and and i think this was like a good illustration of just where that line of reasoning comes from for the um like from the FIA to see like yeah. okay they are actually like applying it differently at a at a different point in the race right. um, but yeah just big time overall unfortunate for Yuki uh, and then for Daniel to just be like, all right, well, I got to beat out this 10 second penalty and probably go and have his best, like, unreal. Stint. Like, yeah. I mean, it, he that's his, he was the best of the rest. Like, yeah, driver that's... of the day, even. I love how quickly for people forget that he took out a driver. Oh, I know. Like, I, and they're just like, yeah, we love the overtakes. I, I what? love, love the overtake. It's the love for Danny Ricks. It's the, the sadness about him leaving. I think all of those, game. all of those came into play, but I was somewhat appalled that someone who absolutely just hammered someone out of the yes. race. Gets yes. I was like, day. why is he the driver I mean, of the day? Not the driver of the day means anything, but it also was probably the most excitement that came out of that race. Like the race overall was not super thrilling. No, it, it wasn't was, a good race. It was interesting because you're waiting to see how these tire strategies pan out. But yeah, just sitting there and want to be wrong. Sitting there and waiting through seventy-one laps to just be like, "Oh, is it gonna happen?" That's not very fun, as opposed no. to like see. So like, it was interesting, not exciting. Uh, but sure. he he brought the excitement nonetheless, and I, I do feel for Yuki because. That that was some bad luck. I feel for Fernando as well here. He mm-hmm. just he has a ridiculous amount of DNFs this year. Like he like to no fault of his own, just like the car dying on him. And his car, I, I think they were saying he was like he was talking about how basically it felt like he was the only car that retires for Alpine. So, I mean, he is DNF'd five times now. What um, are those tracks? So he DNF if it's heat related. So Saudi Arabia, okay. um, Italy at Emilia Romagna. Okay. Um, Italy again, Singapore. Wait, 
Yeah. Italy again, Singapore, and then Mexico. Gotcha. Um, where other as... than the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, all the other four of those tracks are like higher temperature, like higher ambient temperature. Yeah. So it's possible that that is it's like an, an overheating issue. issue. Yeah. Um, but definitely he, he was pretty frustrated. I feel for him because he was having, he was having a phenomenal race. He was, he was doing ahead of, uh, Ricardo mm -hmm. up until that point he was in P seven and then his engine died and he's like losing four seconds a lap and everyone's like, Oh, they're gaining on Alonzo. It's like his car's broken. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. come on, guys. <laughs> they're like, people are like, oh, the double overtake on Alonzo. It's like, guys, his car is like his coughing. Broken. His car is coughing smoke out the front of it like it's in the movie Cars. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is not, <laughs> this is not like the other cars just like, having this huge advantage i'm like he's just on three legs out there um it really does sound terrible when those engines go oh it's brutal and the the like just, anytime i see the puff of smoke out the back i'm just like ooh. there's never a time i've seen a puff of smoke out out of the back of an f1 car that i'm like Oh, maybe he can keep going. <laughs> like, sure, yeah. It's like, oh, that's probably a good thing. I'm just, or like, oh, he just must have hit the nitrous. Like, I, right. I'm just like puff of smoke. I'm like, oh, something's on fire. Mm -hmm. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so the old uh, big, big bummer for Fernando. Um, how does Nick Latifi get lapped by his teammate? Albon lapped him. I think at this point, it's all just a ruse to make Albon look better. That's the and only reason Latifi's there. They're Albon sacking has, him to... Yeah, Albon has actually agreed, has promised Latifi 50% of all of his earnings for this like little bit of a prop up here at the end. It's like, I'll pay your entry fee in the IndyCar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. If you let me lap you a couple times and slap you around. <laughs> like that's just wild though. I would to see a like the same cars, same upgrades, everything, and to see his teammate lap him, that is brutal. And I, I do also respect Albon in like he has done a fantastic job of taking care of tires on those Williams cars this year. He like I mean, that's what got him the first points of the season for himself, yep. where he rode a ridiculous amount of time uh, around the track on one set of tires, like pitted on the second to last lap or whatever it was. Um, yep. So I know he's good at that, but like that was egregious. <laughs> so I feel like you might be like, but that I think they might be uh, tipping a little too hard that what they're doing. I agree. I agree. They're throwing too many sandbags onto uh, Nikola TV's car. Maybe brutal. one too many sandbags. Just brutal. But um, outside of that, Valtteri Botas got some points uh, or a point. Um, he had a, a nice qualifying run and everything. Um, so happy to see him back getting Alfa Romeo points after a, a long stretch of the season where he was struggling. Um, 
But were there any other uh, big hit points that you uh, wanted to touch on? Because I know we've got some League of Legends to get into. Not really. Uh, we kind of hit on all the points that I had here for most of the major teams and even uh, even some for the smaller teams. So I think that pretty well covers the uh, 2022 Mexican Grand Prix. Let me just hit the podium real quick. We had a Max Verstappen win, Lewis second, Sergio Perez P3. The Mexican crowd erupted as though, again, he had won the race. Um, so that's always exciting. Happy for him to be now just the winning winning. Mexican driver at the Mexican Grand Prix. Um, pretty sure that's just like solidified history at this point. Uh, yeah. And everybody's going to love him down there from now on. Uh, so yeah, just fun stuff down there in Mexico this past weekend. But yeah, I'm ready to uh, ready re- ready to move. Oh, just one final note. So Max sure. uh, broke the record for most wins in a season as well. Yeah, um, that's great. As we've talked about, he more races than they've had in other seasons. So um, the record is it's a it's a weird comparison to make. I feel like win percentage is probably a better um, one to look at at the end of the season. Or it's an easier comparison to make. It's still not the same, but nonetheless, uh, Mm -hmm. getting on into some League of Legos. Um, (laughs) one thing I saw, uh, just for the world finals coming up that interested me and I thought was somewhat entertaining. They announced a co-stream, a riot sponsored co-stream that has a bunch of people who are not necessarily like league of legends, big personalities and whatnot, uh, from different areas, different regions. So, it will probably be an interesting broadcast, but there was a bit of backlash from the community about the the people who were picked and people who were like, wait, you didn't pick the people who actually have been grinding these co-streams all year long, like for all these regions to be on the official co-stream broadcast. Um, so just a, a side note that I thought was interesting. Um, because I, I saw that there was like a pretty big outcry of of unhappiness uh, similarly to F1 Twitter. League of Legends Twitter is not always the nicest place to be. Hmm. <laughs> Damn. Well, that's a shame. I mean, I... Eh, whatever man i think it's just great that like for so long the company has held like sole broadcast rights which has made like increasing the like tournament circuit all the more impossible so like kind of shut up and just let them like expand the way that they're gonna allow their game to be broadcast like it's already a dying thing anyway they're also not stopping like people from like co-streaming so the other co-streamers are still allowed but they just put together a little panel of like featured co-streamers yeah that like are just not super involved in league of legends which is fine that's fine they tried to bring in personality i think their the goal is to get the uh the average person to to tune into that like what who who wouldn't have previously 
And so I, I where agree, they're not like, talking about like the level two advantage and right. oh the last the last melee creep dies oh there it is get the level two power spike oh yeah. look at the four v one top lane like dude the macro is sick yeah so I I thought it was like the idea behind it was was good I just thought it was like. Uh, they, they, I don't know if they didn't want backlash, they could have announced it differently, but either way, I think people are going to, there's always going to be salty, uh, salty crackers in the box. So salty crackers in the box. <laughs> yes, there is sir. But, uh, but we've got, uh, two semifinals best of fives. We had T1 versus JD gaming. And then we had Damon gaming or no, sorry. DRX. Versus Gen G. Sorry, Damon Gaming Kia. Not around any longer. Um, but two showmaker. Two very, very good matchups, I think, and uh pretty exciting series. Um we'll start off with with T1 and JDG. Where do you want to lead into that? I mean, I just want to start off by saying, like, do you agree with me? These were two upsets. Um, I did not one and see... a half for me. I, I, I did feel like I felt like the T1 JD gaming was a relatively even matchup. Um, okay. I thought the biggest concern for me on JD gaming side was Kanavi or, or sorry, the biggest like positive on JD gaming side was Kanavi versus owner. Not that okay. owners played poorly, but Kanavi has played out of his mind. I I don't ever expect Faker to get dumpstered. So that versus Yigao, either way, I felt like was going to be um, a relatively like evenly matched uh, like position. Um, gotcha. I thought that the positive side for T1 was the bot lane with Guma and Kyria because yeah. Guma's just been playing nutty and, and Kyria as well has been just a, a stud through the the stages of Worlds so far. So not that Hope and Missing are bad. Just like Owner isn't bad, but Kanavi's been playing like crazy and sure. like better similarly guma and kiria i thought were playing very very well throughout the tournament um and hope and missing i just felt like they had the upper hand um so i i really felt like that was more of a even matchup going in um but the the gen g and drx matchup i was like yeah gen g is probably gonna 3-0 them like that was that was a heavy heavy favorite in my opinion yeah. So, all right. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll live with the one and a half, uh, one and a half upsets. But yeah, we could start with the T1 versus JDG series. Um, I think in that first game, watching. So, my worst fears began to like take hold when T1 was getting all the engages they wanted finding all of the picks they wanted, getting every single 4v5 that they could ever hope for on that board, and JD Gaming beat them out every single time. They tried mm-hmm. to like push that, what they thought was an advantage, what every spectator would have said, like, oh, that's an advantage. 
oh, right. they're, they have one less player, but it really never mattered. So honestly, after that game one, I was like, oh, oh, this is bad. Like um, T1 can't even beat them with man down. Well, and they, I will say like JD gaming had taken advantages earlier in the game. So those four V fives were not as lopsided in T one's favor. Cause it's like five people versus four people who have more gold and items and things like that. Um, sure. or more power from all the dragons and everything sure. that JD gaming was getting. So, but, but I still expect T1 to win those fights. Like, I'm still, I'm not saying that, like, that I was like, oh, yeah, 4v5 JD Gaming was so far ahead. They weren't. But I'm, like, less surprised than if it, like, it's an even, like, mm-hmm. even levels, even gold and everything, yeah. and T1 loses a 5v4. That would, that would shock me, but... JD Gaming played that out really well. I think the one of the big things was they didn't really let Guma get in on a lot of the fights. The Talia walls were huge in like uh, isolating him. There were a couple times, including at the Baron towards the end of the game, that they threw the Talia wall and Guma was the only one on the other side. And he waited for the wall to drop because he didn't want to use his dash to go over the wall to join the fight and his flash was down and have no ability to get back out if they dove on him, Um, which I I think is the right play, but just in, in part, like put them at a disadvantage that much uh, more. And also on T1 side, you have so much engage and you have so much like, go in potential but the sustained mm-hmm. damage that you're looking for is all from guma so mm-hmm. keeping him on the outside is so so huge when you have zayas go in and ult someone and or vi uh, owner on vi go in and ult someone and then faker dive in on top if you don't have your sustained dps there of the lucian you're just gonna lose those fights and mm-hmm. so I think JD Gaming played around that extremely well in game one. Mm-hmm. I was super impressed uh, with with how they played that out. Well, and then they were ready to punish the couple of overextensions from T1. So it wasn't like they were like getting caught like caught with their hands down. There were there were actually there were actually a couple of positions where T1 was overextending into them, faker yeah. like teleporting a little too early getting himself called out um so yeah not to not that t1 was like playing perfectly either um but yeah jd gaming was definitely able to take their advantages i think hope got like massive towards the end he was dishing out some serious damage yeah Uh, but you're right i think yigal's walls ended up being one of the like the biggest like x factors in those mid-game team fights shutting mm-hmm. shutting guma uc out i i would agree with you is a is a is a big point of the thing i based on game one like moving into game two i thought the jacks was actually going to be a little bit higher priority i thought the kind of tankiness he offered the front line that he offered three six nine was gonna be 
possibly one of the points of contention for the pick ban for T1. It actually ended up not going that route, which I was surprised at. Um, but staying on that top lane, like I said, moving into game two, like I just was not convinced about the Malphite. They like answered yeah. the Yone with it. But then even in game, I'm pretty sure it was like 18 minutes in, he couldn't even one-shot the Lucian. Oh, yeah. And, and it was like... They took advantage of that matchup big time because yeah, it, it's fine in the one v one against uh, against Yone. Like that's all fine and dandy until you have a Rise who's roaming all over the map constantly and locking yeah. you up and throwing the AP damage out at you. Um, I, I agree. I think that and the the Belveth were two questionable picks. For me, not that Belveth has looked like particularly bad or anything. I just haven't seen enough from it. And when on the other side, you have owner who's sitting there on the poppy, who's knocking just tanks out of every team fight with his ultimate and then engaging uh, a 4v5 or a 5v4 then was just huge. And bringing what feels like more utility like the note that i have here about belveth is like i just don't understand the strengths of it because you're right i don't think we have seen it enough competitively to really know right and without you and i playing a bunch of games like me jungling her and getting a feel and like right like all that i i just didn't see i understand like the what the champion can do i just didn't see in this scenario what the champion does that's that much better than other jungle picks. Um, Even something like a kindred, I feel like could be like a better pick in that scenario. You have mobility, you have the like consistent DPS and everything Mm -hmm. um, gank potential. So a number of the things that you're getting with the, the Belveth that Mm -hmm. just is a, more valuable pick in my mind. Um, the on the just point to, of the, oh god, I and you were probably just about to say this was the jungle pool was pretty significantly pinched. We had Vi, Viego, Sejuani, Graves, and Leeson all banned away. So that yeah. does put you down to your you know like second or third tier picks. Yeah, and so I don't know if Kanavi is a kindred player um at all cuz that that's something that got brought out in the Gen G DRX series, but yep. so it's definitely playable in general, but of course I don't know what his full jungle champion pool is. Right. So it's possible that it's just like not in his realm. Um but the other thing I was going to say with the Jax that was uh, in game one a counter pick to the Camille. Um, it was last picked, so I think that's probably why they didn't pull it out. Um, in game two, was that they saw the Yone come out, and Jax versus Yone is just not as good of a matchup mm-hmm. as Jax versus Camille because mm-hmm. of the snapback from the Yone being able to dodge out of the counter strike and all, as sure. opposed to Camille having to like go in. Um, so I think that's, that's part of that. I wouldn't have been shocked to see three, six, nine play it. Cause he, he plays a pretty solid jacks, but yeah, I think the Malphite and, and some of the picks in game two were a little iffy, but nonetheless, 
if you're in a 1-0 lead in the world semifinals, I don't think it's unreasonable to also shift your pick band to try and keep T1 on their toes and try and throw something different at them either. I don't think that's an unreasonable strategy. Um, but then in in game three, they kind of go back to uh, a much more standard um, standard strategy where T1 continues. And this is what I was saying in the quarterfinals that I was a little bit like concerned for other teams versus T1 is that they are playing pretty non-standard champions. Not that they're like out of the meta, but these are picks that are not getting played very much. The Gangplank, the Nocturne, the Rise in particular particular we have not seen very much in worlds at all like we've seen it in a few games here and there but it's not it's been banned out a couple times but it is by no means a 100 pick ban that is rise is at a 12 percent pick ban right so to stick on that point actually i think I think the rise was a big contributing factor to both of their wins in mm. games two and three. Like I, oh, I, I actually don't think JDG, like we can say all we want about the pick and ban, but when it came to like the mid game rotations and JDG having to answer that rise, they did yeah. not know what to do. They kept Whoa. prioritizing the dragons and they kept prioritizing these like weird, like barren motions when mm. rise and the other top and the top laner were just pressuring inhibitors while you were taking like your second dragon or whatever. Yeah. So like, and, and I think that was just like macro oh, outplay from T1. hundred percent. And I, I am not saying by any means that that should not be played or anything like that. I'm just saying that my concern for other teams going against T1 from watching their quarterfinals matchup, I was mm-hmm. like, I'm like, they're playing weird shit. Like mm-hmm. they're playing things that other teams are not playing. Like, this is it's so easy to go and be like up Aatrox up we're just going to take Jax up up this oh we just take the other like normal meta matchup and then T1's throwing out Gangplank like not just one like different pick they're throwing out multiple of them right um all at once like the yone picks as well like things like that have not been standard in worlds their only thing that they've kept pretty consistently standard is the bot lane picks they'll grab the lucianami when they can and they were even they were even first picking nami hmm Right. Yeah. So that's like that's crazy. But then you go back and you look at their their pick and ban in the quarterfinals against RNG. So let me just like rattle off the team comps real quick because they are not similar. So Camille Graves, Victor Ash, Heimerdinger, Jace Viego, Akali, um, the Zaya, Renata Glask. And then you have Yone, Sedge, Akali, Varys, and then Tom Kench. And then you go and you look at all the team comps that they played. Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing some shared 
some shared champions across like in in the role right like every game is has like a couple of champions but they, you're, you're right they're wildly different comps trying to win in wildly different ways and mm. then you know going back to the rise pick here is this this strategy that they they locked in for two games and just mm. nailed it home something that jdg wasn't prepared for but based on their diversity right now in pick and ban you can't even be drx and look at them and be like okay they're gonna prioritize the rise triple global comp and right. like they're gonna focus on the lucianami because that may be the thing where they're like oh no we actually care about like the ash heimerdinger and we're gonna pick the victor this time oh you didn't ban out a kali like oh we're actually just going to switch our team comp like they're playing such a varied strategy that that the the rise it's 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 just a, a drop in the in the in the in the pool is like what i'm getting at oh 100 and it's yeah. like they are picking i mean so i said the rise 12 percent pick ban gang plank yeah. 12 percent pick ban yeah nocturne 2.7 percent pick ban it was probably just that game right uh yeah it was just that game um that and i like these are things that other teams don't have practice playing against so that's a huge advantage for for t1 and Mm -hmm. like even in the picks themselves so game game three faker on rise versus yigao on azir Equal pushing pressure, but you have so much map pressure from the Rise ult. Faker yeah. was all over the map, mm-hmm. and then in the late game, able to pressure side lanes, able to utilize the ult to escape multiple times out of scenarios so that you should have died in, like by using Fog of War and everything to to ult out and, and get away. Like... They just outplayed JDG with their their team comp, and they played their team comp so so well. Um, mm. That game, Zayus as well on the uh, gangplank, getting some really huge ults in some tight tight team fights that or not ults, uh, barrel chains in mm. tight tight team fights to be able to uh, like just. N- annihilate multiple people on the jdg side um was was so big um and then going into game four that was just hey it was all t1 all day yeah they just had (laughs) momentum you know and they're like and they even adjusted the team comp again like after a series of just having like total comfort honestly um so yeah pretty crazy the only um the only other comment that i want to say about that game three is like that was even in a world where 369 started the game like 3-1 or 4-1 like he popped off like that renekton in in any other scenario, the other team just would have been like, "All right, we're just gonna go get drinks, like just FF at fifteen, like this is just yeah. done." But they they like started targeting him super hard later on. Mm-hmm. Um, Zayus, I, I think, did immensely well in that matchup. It was that is a tough matchup for the Gangplank early mm-hmm. on, and he was definitely like. JDG played it from the get-go like very well. They targeted the their advantage super, super hard in that top mm-hmm. lane. Um, 
but the scaling that T1 had just ended up outmatching. And they're, like you said, the macro play, the pressuring of multiple different lanes, the, they just couldn't handle it. Yeah. It's so, so tough to, to do the nocturne ultimate just to turn the lights out at multiple well, instances was huge to just and they like, could just pick a fight like right when they want to you have you have the gangplank all come down nocturnes on top of you rises on top of you with all the yep. other members like it just gives them such agency to just oh pull God. the trigger and say you're yeah. you're caught out you're dead and, and like uh, the the thing that like i wouldn't be surprised to see rise just consistently get banned in the finals because sure. Easy. The the macro movement potential of him as well is just unreal. Going from winning, like any time that I see a team win a team fight and then immediately just rise all, all five members to Baron, I'm like, oh, I'm like that's just busted. Like mm-hmm. you killed one person and you just get a free Baron. Like mm-hmm. that's that's insane. Um but, but but more like, importantly, I don't think Zek is gonna play it. No, so they're not gonna yeah. be like picking it away. It's not. It's not in his uh, in his typical champion pool of worlds, at least. But, but not yeah, seen, yeah. Um, but game four, it was a sot- Guma and Kyria were just absolutely disgusting in the bot lane and just led to winning everywhere. I think they had multiple five man or five. Zero deaths, five kill aces throughout mm-hmm. the game. It was just like, I was like, when is it going to be over? I feel bad. <laughs> like that was that was a brutal. That is a a really rough way to end your time at Worlds is to like have some pretty good games and then just to get like beat down in the last one pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but T one back to the World Finals. First time in five years for Faker, mm-hmm. um, and he's playing very, very well. I, I felt like Guma was my my big um, MVP of that series, but I I did feel like Faker was playing pretty pretty Faker level um, from from previous worlds. In that sure. he, he fit his role very well had some really, really solid play. Um, so, and I, like, I keep going back to the like three, two advantages that they were able to get on the JDG inhibitors. Like Mm -hmm. that, that felt like, yeah. Okay. He's not, he's not making the like insane outplays or whatever, but I would argue that play in the top lane where he gets out, alts back to the lane Huge. that's an outplay just like from the macro perspective oh. I, I i feel like this guy like doesn't even have to flash your like flash your alts anymore like he's 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 seeing the ones and zeros in a different way like he was he was pressuring the map yeah. in a way that we haven't seen players really do it yet so i'm interested to see moving into the next series like how drx is going to be able to handle that yeah. I think especially um, not mid laners doing that. I feel like we see sure. it a lot from the top lane just because the meta is a lot of these like four one kind of comps when you have a Fiora or an Aatrox where you're just like, yeah, 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 I go to the side lane, the rest of us will do our thing over here. Yeah. Like this those um 
was a bit different because of the ability for him to move around and like join in on, on those plays. So um, I'm excited to see Faker back in, in the world championship in the finals. I agree. And to be be fair, I thought JDG was going to be like their biggest competition and there you go. So I guess that, uh, that tells everyone who Justin thinks or what Justin's prediction for the finals is, but uh, I just won four for Faker and then it's like solidified in stone. He's just, I mean, I think that would be sick because we like last year at worlds, we were talking about, Oh, well, if, if Chovy gets like another one, he's like right on the cusp. Like he's, he's right there now. Like it, is Faker gonna be the goat for forever? Um, I think this this uh, definitely puts him in the right direction. We've still got a finals best of series, sure. of course. But moving uh, along to Gen G versus DRX, that was also a very very interesting series because like you said huge upset uh overall in the the way that that panned out big time and i think like the big note that i have coming out of it is i think this is the first time that we've seen chovy really show some like cracks in the armor I was pretty disappointed to see the like immense focus on the Silas Mm. be pretty rigid in that. And then the other performances like on the, on the Galio and the rise, like not even, or on the, on the rise and the Azir, like not even, look that great so i'm curious how strong his champion pool actually was if there's such a priority on on the silas that doesn't get ahead then like then where really are they um so it was a very different look for gen g that was pretty like pretty unfortunate really yeah i i would definitely agree because but i mean not to to knock drx but i think that Chovy, I mean, he showed that Azir and um, and Silas were his main champions. Like, that's what he was primarily playing throughout Worlds. Right. As much as he could. Right. And the, I, I agree, I think the reliance on that is questionable. Because when you, when you do see him on other champions... Um, like you said, the Azir, the Rise, it just was not quite what you were looking for. Um, and Zeka on the other side, I think is, I think this is why I'm excited to see DRX in the finals is he seems so versatile. Like he played the Azir in game one and, and definitely got, he got stomped out, but the whole team did in, mm-hmm. in that first game. They lost that first one hard bounce back, but he bounces back on the Ari in the mid lane, a, a champion again, that is not being played a lot, but it fit their composition very well. They have a lot of outside damage. 
that gives some great pick potential that they're able to uh, have that chase down and everything. You have the huge range from the Caitlin and the Lux to just pump in later damage with their ultimates. So mm-hmm. if you get the great engages from King and on the Gragas uh, or from an Ari charm and then have all this go in, they, they played to their team comps um, style very well, even though it wasn't a super bloody game. They were all, they, there's, I think that's hugely in part due to the threat of that team comp. Like there's so much potential for 5v5 fights to go poorly for Gen G that they almost avoided it um, to the extent of it being a 12 kill 40 minute game. Like that's mm-hmm. crazy. That's not yeah. what you see. And most of the kills were off the back of a charm hit by Zeka and mm-hmm. his willingness to flash forward. Um, yeah. Interestingly, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't feel like that's something we see out of players a whole lot, but he really goes for it. Or at least, you know, like we saw in the Akali dashing over the Azir wall, flashing out like, he was flashing forward on Oriana in their mm. uh, in some of their opening games. So this guy is super aggressive. And when DRX was winning fights, like it it really was off the back of Zeka. Either his charm accuracy was insanely high, or it was his like like mid fight, mid like jostling rotations. Like the yeah. amount of times that Gen G lost. Zeka like in fog of war and he just like showed up and was able to mark ruler it it happened like way too many times like his his explosiveness on the akali was just insane like a 702 game he went wild um so maybe maybe this is a little bit of Zeka's meta with assassins being like so powerful right now dashes mm-hmm. being huge um i think we may be getting a little bit of that going on but yeah he's um i think he's gonna uh, match up pretty well against faker like you were saying excited excited for that matchup yeah and i think that the you highlighting him flashing forward on the oriana definitely like highlights it more than this series because flashing forward on Ari with the Ari ult changes is definitely different because you know, hey, I can flash in and if I get this kill, then I still get an ult reset and can like Mm -hmm. hop out. Or with the Akali, you're like, I have the mobility, I have my shroud, I have the ult to get away or anything if you need to. But on an Orianna, like that is the epitome of like balls to the wall. (laughs) Like you're, you're going in. And if you flash in on that, you have no chance of getting out. You're flashing in because you know, you're winning that Um, or, or going home potentially. So that's huge. Um, But yeah, I think after that game one getting stomped, uh, they, their mental held super well. Piosic was was so good in um, in the rest of the series as well uh, on the Kindred on the Viego. I wasn't super high on uh, 
on Gen G going with um, some of their picks, uh, particularly the Ezreal Karma. I wasn't like super keen on. Um, I just feel like there's there's better champions out there. Um, even like an Ash Karma in the the kind of matchup that you're going into, I think would have been pretty solid because you do have the sustained outside damage with the Azir and the Ash in that scenario. You have mm-hmm. the tankiness up front from Sejuani and Trundle to keep people off of the Ash in the team mm-hmm. fight. You don't need to rely on that Ezreal um, shift and everything to get mm-hmm. moving around team fights. Um, I think it was a ruler comfort pick. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it didn't work out particularly with like how well DRX just was playing. Like they came out strong and, and carried it through. Um, and in game four with Zeka on the Galio, like that mm-hmm. was another nice side to see him playing uh, again, that control mage type champion and with Faker bringing out the rise uh in particular, I think that's a great potential counter pick in the mid lane. Not mm-hmm. because you are gonna like eat, neither one of them is gonna stomp that lane, but just to be able to roam and bring the assistance was mm-hmm. something lacking on the side of uh, JDG when Faker was breaking that out. Well, I mean, you could argue that Talia like can kind of answer; it's just a little slower. Um, the one difference I want to say about the Galio picks is, and this kind of speaks to the aggressiveness of Zeka. Zeka's Galio oh. was running Predator. Yeah, uh, I I meant um, Faker on Rise, the Rise Galio matchup, as opposed to the oh. Galio Talia. Um, oh. But but yeah, like I, I'm like if Faker breaks out the Rise, he has that in his pocket that he can play. But I agree the. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, having awesome. having the um the predator is also i think big for that because he was still playing it aggressively like charging in for those taunts and everything as well yeah, so like wild it, it gives you the ability to still play that supportive play style and and be where you need to be on the map but he still played it in a pretty aggressive way yeah, I would say so. That was definitely uh, some skill expression, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, overall, I think we had two like really, really exciting series. Overall, um, DRX here showed up like insanely better than I don't know why I kept underrating them every time. Um, but yeah, they've gone from play-ins all the way to the finals. Well, I mean that that's part of it. Like they they. This is the first time I think that a team from play-ins has gone all the way to the finals. It's the first four seed um, that has gone to the finals. Um, I'm pretty pretty certain. So they they are doing things that are not heard of for their position coming into yeah. worlds, and they've they've hit their stride very well. And and Zeka I think is the biggest part of that. The man is playing like a demon out there like he's he is a scary matchup like that like he is he is showing his stuff and 
props to him because he's making some for some exciting matchups and games. It also helps the depth on your team, who's traditionally oh, has been touted as one of the better like positional eighty carries. A hundred percent. Like I, I that helps. Didn't, didn't talk about him, but he played. He played very well this series as well. Like his his positioning, his play. He loves those. Uh, like I mean, he looked phenomenal on the Varus. He looks great on those like outside ranged uh 80 carries and all and so but he he played to perfection pretty much throughout the series yeah uh and it's 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 always fun to see um see a team where both of the carries are like play through a bull right where yeah. you, know, you, could, you could pick for deft you could pick for zeka you could pick to like play through either of them um the so just one last note on the drx series uh we didn't hit it the kindred on the elder dragon in game two where mm-hmm. like peanuts stuck around just a little too long like i i i think that was a moment where it's like Oh, that's what Kindred all does. Like he, they should have just not been there. Like that felt mm-hmm. like a telegraph play that was always going to happen. They were just going to keep the Elder Dragon alive, and he was just like still in there when, like, when it all went down. It's like, oh no, yeah, so I, it's just like a a brain brain fart in the situation. Just being like, I forgot that that's that that's how the interaction works like and maybe that's like not what happened maybe you understood it perfectly but it just felt yeah. like uh kind of kind of an outplay from piochik and the uh and the side of drx there yeah and, that, and maybe and maybe it's oh hey i'm on graves i have burst i can maybe like sure. get him super low make him pop the old early maybe that's the the play there but um but yeah that that was a uh definitely highlight for piochik uh in in that second game mm-hmm. so uh but very exciting finals ahead of us coming up this weekend on saturday so we have uh t1 versus drx a all lck finals um it's gonna be a banger i i'm really hoping for a great series because these are two teams that have been fun to, very fun to watch um mm-hmm. and I, i'm looking forward to a, a fun series for the finals yeah, no, I agree. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Star Walking live by Lil Nas X. I think that's going to be an interesting part of the performance that has been one of uh, the better like world songs. Um, oh, tip top. So yeah, I'm kind of actually excited to hear that hear that live. And yeah, I agree. Hoping for hoping for the best of fives. Hopefully they mute the silver scrapes. But um, yeah. What what champion Saturday. is Lil Nas X going to dress as for the performance? Timo. Ooh. I mean, he dresses the devil in that one video, didn't he? He's just going to come out in a go. Timo costume. People are going to be like, ah, oh, he's reusing the costume. Yeah. It's the but, devil. But he's not. It's Timo. It's Timo. <laughs> it's not the devil. It's just Timo. <laughs> Can we all have a moment of silence for the one Timo game that was played this year at Worlds and did amazing, obviously? And the moment's over. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, but yeah, so we'll have we'll have finals coverage next week. 
Um, Justin, I know you had uh, a little other esports to mention. It doesn't matter. I kind of want to get you to the Phillies game. We're we're pushing it. Ah, it's all right. There's, I mean, there's like plenty of innings. All right, literally all I could say is that like it's been fun to watch it. Fury is doing pretty good. Okay, that's and all I was gonna say. What teams are what teams are you looking out for? So Fury is one. Area Mouse is likely moving through. That's probably an organization name that you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, moving into the next phase is like when it'll be interesting and there's like actually fun players to talk about. But my player to look out for, his name is Caserato on Furia. Oh, I know his name. There you yeah. go. Right now, I'm pretty sure my boy is the highest rated player at the tournament right now, like based on his in-game stats. So, like, dude, my man is popping off. So, like, is if, if you're going to go back... He, uh, like, what What does uh, he typically... I don't really know the roles that well, but is he, he is one of their, rush? like, fragger. I think okay. he's rushing in. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, uh, if you're going back and watching maps, Fury is Caserato is pretty, pretty strong. Very cool. Yeah, that's all I have to say about I am Rio. We'll we'll get into it more as the tournament goes on. This is just a challenger stage, but it's been very exciting so far. So I'm definitely going to stay tuned and we'll talk about stacking more next week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. There you Uh, go. But then do you want to go ahead and get into the flavor of the week and get the people on out? Oh, I'm just going to slam through these really quick. So my music here this week, and I wasn't thinking about uh, current events, but I was listening to College Dropout on vinyl, and I was really enjoying it. Oh, um, I mean, I nothing wrong with that. Like, sure. he, he's put out great music, but yeah. I agree. I agree. I, the old stuff's better anyway. Sure. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. And it sounds great on vinyl, to be fair. Uh, so I definitely enjoyed my playthrough of that. Um, my food here for the week, Sarah picked up uh, some everything bagel hummus that doesn't have like any of the like preservatives in it or anything. It said like eat nice. it in like 30 seconds after you open it. Um, and the chickpea taste was so dense and like really good. Um, so I'm kind of in love with that hummus. So and you then did eat it in 30 seconds after you opened it. All gone. Love it. I'm a I'm a disgusting human being, Aaron. Um, and then my visual medium here for the week. I couldn't remember what movie we watched, so clearly must have been great, and I loved it. Um, but no, my visual medium here for the week is Assetto Corsa. I talked about it last week. I set the goal for myself that on the first of the month, I've been patient, so I'm gonna I'm gonna buy myself a little racing game here. Uh, so I've got that all downloaded, and I've been waiting for the right opportunity here to get locked into my racing seat. Um, so I think tomorrow I'm going to have a pretty good opportunity. So I'm just looking forward to, uh, getting back behind the wheel in, uh, some sim racing. Nice. You'll have to let us know how it is. I've heard good things about the game. Um, so looking forward to, to hearing that. Yeah, I think it was the best option for like an affordable, gonna be like pseudo up to date um, yeah. sim racer, you know, for a not that great uh, sim driver. But that's enough out of me. Aaron, I want to hear about your flavor of the week. 
Cool. Uh, so my flavor of the week for my food, um, similar to that for you, I uh, it's something that I'm looking forward to. I am making some beef jerky. I haven't done that in a while. So I'm excited to uh, get that finished up. It's marinating right now with some good old teriyaki and lots of crushed red pepper. Um, so we'll dehydrate that and have some yummy beef jerky for a nice. snack. Um, my music this week, I've been kind of struggling with figuring out what I'm want to listen to. Nothing's really like mm. jumped out as particularly like appealing. I sometimes go through that phase where I'm just like skipping from playlist to playlist. And I'm like, ah, none of this is what I want. Um, sure. so I decided to just go with the saw, the, uh, Callum, I forget his last name, Tiesto remix of dancing on my own. That is the Phillies. Like that is the song of the playoffs for the Phillies. So dancing on my own go fills. Um, and for my visual medium, this one's a little more interesting, um, Colleen and I were convinced by her brother to watch the movie Barbarian on HBO, and it is wild. One, the main person in it, it's a horror movie, just the epitome of stupid horror movie main character where they're just like, just leave. Like, you're good. Just go. Like, fuck everyone else. You don't have to die. Just get out of there. And they're like, no, I got to go back and do the thing. I got to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you got out. Go. Oh. Don't die. Like, you can. You literally can just leave. Right. He has plot armor. Like, yeah, but didn't just take like i i don't know crazy too much but but in general i don't want to give too much away very interesting movie initial idea is girl shows up to an airbnb type deal someone else had also booked it on another site the guy's already there. She shows up. They're like, oh, what do we do? It's a terrible neighborhood that, we, that we're that we renting this Airbnb at, and it's nighttime. But they're not the only ones in the house. And so that's where I'll, I'll leave that. So interesting horror movie. Um, where does the barbarian part come in? Oh, it comes in. Not Into the, the house? One. Not the only ones in the house, Justin. There's a barbarian in the house? Barbarian is there. What is this, like the Brendan Fraser movie? Was he like locked in like, like no, the ice fridge? No, there's uh, there's hidden passageways. Oh. So, but, but I won't spoil anymore. Um, I will give a little warning. Not the best movie I've watched. Very bizarre, though, and like if you're looking Weird. for a bizarre horror movie, go for Weird. it. But right. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people. All right, but all right. I like that wreck. 
sticks out as it's an a honest wreck. Like uh, it's a standout of the past week, but that okay. is uh, my flavor of the week. So that does, of course, wrap up the episode for us this week for the ladies and gentlemen. Um, as always, thank everyone. Thank all of you for listening, spending time with us. We appreciate it very much. We love doing this. You can always hear us on Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, let us know what your flavor of the week is. But thank you all again for, for listening along. New episodes every Thursday. Get the audio version. Get the video version. Tell a friend. Like Aaron said, just thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. This has been another edition of the Tall and Short of It podcast. Peace out, everybody. Later. Go Phils.